As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and our Euro 2020 coverage. Day four. Scotland's balance sits at zero because the checks bounce. It's a victory at Hampden Park. <laughs> Slovakia poleaxed Robert Lewandowski oh and Co. in St. Petersburg. And Spain bring the pain as they drained the life force out of anybody who sat through their opener against Sweden. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have a man who has much to say about the loose-fitting jorts worn by Slovakia's fans. Taylor Rockwell. Hello. It was nice to see the fans in the stand. And then as they kind of lingered on that group of Slovakian fans, I did sort of notice they were all wearing like Jinko jeans that had been cut off at the shin. It was an interesting approach to fashion is what I'm saying. I think you've um, had a classic example of cultural insensitivity here. Um, Uh, I hate to tell you, uh, Slovakians are never nudes. Um, so oh. they do tend to wear <laughs> jean shorts of varying types. So I hope we can clear that up and we can move on from this. I apologize. I didn't know that. There are dozens of us, so I, sh- I should have known better. And there were probably dozens of uh, fans there. So, yeah, that makes sense. Indeed, there were. Joining Taylor and I, we have a man who's like Alvaro Morata because he doesn't need girls to have a good time. It's Joseph Lowry. <laughs> That's a good thing and also very true uh, for my own personal soccer career. Ryan, you're spot on. And joining us, of course, we have a man who has plenty of points, unlike his national team. I'm sorry, Graham Rutherford. Ryan, I don't even have the energy, I'm afraid. (laughs) Sigh is all I've got to say. Sigh. I've enjoyed the Scotland teasing up to this point, but now I just feel a bit mean. Do you need a hug, Graham? I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, I do need a hug, but they're they're still not legal here, so that'll have to wait as well. (laughs) That's just a Scottish thing, not a COVID thing, right? Yeah, nothing to do with COVID, yeah. Just in normal times, hugs are not legal in Scotland. Any sort of physical emotion or, uh, yeah, not allowed here. As we uh, as we understand from your wedding story with your uh, polite handshake with your with your spouse. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, uh, not many polite handshakes at Hampden Park for Scotland, who lost 2-0 to the Czech Republic. Uh, to paraphrase Jamie Vardy, Czech shick get banged. Had to say that very carefully, Graham. Um, let's hear a little bit about your thoughts on the performance, Graham, from Scotland. Obviously, we had two goals from Patrick Schick, who sunk the Scottish team and sunk a lot of their hopes because a lot was riding on this game, wasn't it? Uh, why can't we have nice things, Ryan? <laughs> maybe maybe the curse isn't actually over and this is just the start of an even crueler curse against Scotland. Certainly felt like that a little bit. When the team news came out, that's really when the the point of def- deflation started. I, I was I was really deflated before kickoff um when it emerged that Kieran Tierney 
is injured, which I think I said uh, in, in yesterday's podcast that if, if he was getting to the byline and bombing on and carry the ball forward, then things were going well for Scotland. Well, he wasn't doing that today because he was watching from home injured. And really, he's the one player that Scotland can't do without. We don't have another player like him who can play in, the, in, in on the left side of the, the back three like him, who can bring the ball out. That was a major, major problem today, particularly in the first half. Liam Cooper and Grant Hanley being tasked with bringing the ball out for Scotland and it just it just wasn't happening at all. So that was that was the first point, the first sign that things weren't going well. The fact that Che Adams didn't start was a was a weird one for me, given that all mm. the all the signs had pointed to him probably starting alongside Dykes. All the kind of warm up games had, had they'd been testing that out, it'd been going well. So that was peculiar for me as well. And and with Tierney out, I thought that this might be the perfect game for McTominay to go back into centre back, which he has actually played there. Um, more often than not for Scotland recently and and as weird as this seemed it, it seems um, we had Tierney on the left side of the back three and McTominay on the right and the idea of that was to have two players who could bring the ball out so to have Tierney out and then not have McTominay in central defence felt really strange and in all the things I considered about this match maybe panning out one thing I hadn't considered was Steve Clark getting the big decisions wrong, and I'm I'm afraid he did today. That that that's really the, one of the big conclusions I can draw from this. So let's explore that a little more, Graham, with the with the squad selections and and what went down for Scotland. But just before we do that, can we get a bit of greater context? You're in Glasgow. You're not far from the stadium where this game took place. I don't know if you've left your house today or you've spoken to many of your countrymen and country country people. I don't know how to say that, but um, country persons, country persons. <laughs> What is uh, what is the mood? What is your feeling? This is Scotland's first tournament appearance since 1998. It's been a long time coming. You, you've said you feel a little bit deflated. Is is, is there a, a bit of a national mood at the moment? Um, yes and no. I mean, today was today was really like um, something I've, I've it was something I've never experienced before in, in my adult life. Anyway, that the the, um, the the greatest gauge I have is the building site outside out, outdoors outside my house <laughs> has been silent all day. There's been nobody there, and I think that has been a little bit of a, a a national thing where there was a petition for all the school kids today to be able to watch the game, and that was a thing that was enforced not enforced, but it was allowed by the the Scottish government. It was the, the school kids to be able to watch the game. I, I sent my daughter to nursery today in, a, in her little Scotland kit, forgetting that it was actually a daycare <laughs> pictures day. And they messaged me a couple hours later to say, are these the clothes you want her in for these pictures? And, and what uh, yes, it was entirely intentional. No, it wasn't. I'd completely forgotten about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was. It, to be honest, even though the, the result was obviously disappointing, and I think now... It would be revisionism of me to say, oh, you know, we can still get through because all the way through I've said that we really need to win this first game. So I think now we know that we're just here to pretty much enjoy ourselves, I think. Having said all that, the thing that I'll remember about today in this game is just the way that everyone has got swept up in it and how seeing the the kind of the fans in the stands at Hamden, given everything that's happened in the last year, that's the first time there's been a significant number of fans in a Scottish stadium for well over a year. And so seeing all that, and I did tear up a little bit at the National Anthem, which I have never done before in my life. <laughs> um, uh, it was, yeah, that those are the things I'll actually remember about this rather than the performance and the result. So let's talk about the, the Steve Clark's decisions then, perhaps about his selections, because you say Che Adams didn't start and we had Billy Gilmore on the bench. I was looking at the when the team came out and I was thinking, there's almost a half-decent 11 on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, I think what Steve Clark went for was safety, caution, security and experience and age, which is not the way that I, I, in this game in particular, you could maybe understand it if you go into the last game and you need a point or something to go through and you, you could maybe understand it in that instance. But this was a game where Scotland needed to be proactive and actually take the game to Czech Republic. And one of the most frustrating things is... I think in the second half, once he corrected things a little bit and Che Adams came on and Scott McTominay, even though I don't think he was playing centre-back as such, but he was he was dropping much deeper to pick up the ball and bring it out. Things were looking a lot better at the, at the start of the second half and I was quite confident that Scotland could get an equalising goal, but then obviously the thing that 
that pops the bubble again is the goal from 49.7 yards, which is the, the furthest distance a goal has ever been scored on record at the European Championships since they started recording those things in 1980. And of course that would happen against Scotland. Of course that would, <laughs> that would be against us. But yeah, every, everything just, I mean, look, well, we brought a lot of it on ourselves with some of the decisions and some of the performances as well weren't good enough, but it did feel like a lot kind of went against us. That that goal came at the wrong time for me, Graham. I felt like it was a point where Scotland could have maybe got the equaliser and got back into it a little bit. And they did play quite well for, for certain spates of this game, I would say. Are we buying into the narrative that, uh, of Dave Marshall being poorly positioned for that goal? Because for me, it was a superb strike, a wonderful curl on it. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Schick's taken half a second, less than half a second to make that decision. It wasn't like... David Beckham back in the 90s where he's looked up, he's taken three or four seconds yeah. before trying to catch the keeper off the line. That was a much faster transition and decision he's made there. So I'm not sure I quite buy into the blame game. So so Marshall is the one who's catching a lot of heat in, in Scotland for that, for his positioning. And what's happening is they're, they're freezing the play when shit takes the, the shot. And if you freeze it there, it obviously looks like Marshall is way, way too high up the pitch. He's, you know, there's only about 10, 15 yards between Schick and, and, and Marshall actually on the pitch when he takes the shot. But I personally think that's a really unfair time to freeze the play. And the, 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 the fair time to freeze it would be when Henry takes the, the shot about 20, between 20 and 25 yards out on the edge of the box. That's where Marshall is basing, basing his positioning on. And at that point, he's not even, He's, he's just at the edge of the, of the, the center circle in his own half. So I, I feel like that is a, a pretty common place for a goalkeeper to be. You could argue about Jack Henry maybe getting a bit overexcited and not realizing that there's, there's not really a defense behind him. He is obviously one of the center backs. But again, in Jack Henry's defense, he scored a goal from pretty much that position against the Netherlands last week in a warm-up game. He hit the bar from outside the box earlier in this game. So I almost feel like he's a little bit entitled to take on a shot as well. Maybe a, maybe a bit of uh, positional naivety. I understand that. And if there is a mistake, it's with him, not with Marshall. I do think Marshall is being scapegoated a little bit, to be honest. Joe, um, XG took a pounding today. Scotland <laughs> had a 2.31 XG. Uh, the Czech Republic had 0.91 in this one. What were your thoughts on this game? Well, first of all, yeah, you're right, Ryan. It's a good reminder that single game XG is risky to cite and to use. You have to use it carefully because there's so many varied things. We'll talk about Spain and Sweden later. Spain won the XG battle, but obviously they didn't score a goal. So there will be that variance from time to time. This game to me felt like what would happen, at least large parts of it felt like what would happen if the Red Bulls, the New York Red Bulls and Barnsley played, but without the pressing. And it's just long ball, which is just code for 90s British soccer, by the way. Yay! And it, it was it was long ball after long ball, 50-50 ball, 50-50 ball. And for a while, Scotland were, were playing the ball forward and trying to count on, at least as I saw it, trying to count on Dykes to bring it down and then play forward. And it just wasn't working for the first stretch of the first half. Then they started to be able to move forward a little bit more from those long balls. And then in the second half, especially after going down two to nothing, they started to actually play a little bit more. And I can understand Grant, uh, Graham talking about moving McTominay back into the back line to help progress the ball. But, I mean, the way the Czech Republic approached this game, I don't think Scotland really could have progressed the ball much without making some positional adjustments, let alone personnel adjustments. Czech Republic had their number 10, Darida, constantly on McTominay. They, they sometimes push Crawl up out of their midfield in their 4-2-3-1 to step to McTominay as well and just really discourage him and the rest of Scotland's midfielders from getting on the ball. I think it was a smart game plan from the Czech Republic. And then in the second half, we saw some good adjustments from Scotland to get on the ball a little bit more and be able to play some in possession. But by the time you go down 2 nothing, it's really hard to come back from that. One of the things that was most bizarre about the team selection was the back the back three or the back five whichever way you want to look at it for Scotland was devised by Clark for two things it was devised primarily to get Robertson and Tierney into the same team it was also devised to mask a deficiency that we have in terms of our centre backs we don't have many centre backs at international level and those we do have I don't think are very good anyway so with Tierney out the, the, the need, necessity for that back, that back three or back five is completely gone. Why would you play the, why would you play the back five? Because then all of a sudden, rather than playing two centre backs, which is already a weak position for Scotland, you're, you're then playing three. We're gonna, we're having to find a, a third centre back who's maybe not good enough for this level to come into that team. It, it was, it was a really strange one 
for me. And, and I really hope Tierney's back for the England game. Clark said that he has a chance of being back for that game because with Tierney out, this Scotland team becomes really, really different. We become a bit of a long ball team, feed off the scraps. And with Tierney in the team, we are much more dynamic. Our game's all about overloads. And I really like Scotland as a team with Tierney in it, but he makes such a massive difference. And that was clear in this performance. Taylor, you've been quieter than a Scottish building site for the last few minutes. Um, your thoughts on this game? I mean, I think Graham has summed it up really well. Uh, so too Joe. I thought Joe's tactical points were dead on. That like as the second half begins, it seemed like Scotland had at least renewed vigor, if not changing things up like from a fundamental level. And they do start to cause those problems. There is that great sort of backpedaling save from Vaslik that maybe could have been an own goal, but instead he he palms it over. And it seemed like Scotland were starting to get a bit more confidence and a bit more sort of confidence in their own attacking ability. And I do think, to Graham's point, that is why Marshall is so high up the field is because you're pushing on, you're trying to make something happen. You want your goalkeeper up for that long clearance so that you're not wasting time. The thing that I kept going back to during the Spain game was how, like, Graham, I don't know if this is going to be enough of a, like, silver lining for you, but let's hope Scotland keep going to these competitions. But this game, in retrospect, felt like a lack of tournament experience coming home to roost for Scotland, starting with the the sort of adjustments that had to be made or weren't made that should have been made to the lineup, to the tactical approach. But then even contrasting the, Scotland's defensive display with Sweden, where Sweden never really like left themselves vulnerable, that even when they would attack, they still had everybody where they needed to be. And that's where you're right. It's harsh to put it on Hendry, but would Sweden have sent Lindelof charging forward 30 yards? And if you look at the tactics cam, it's even more damning because there is just so much open space behind him. No one could have seen that deflection going the way it did, or the block, I should say, going the way it did. But I think that's the difference for me is that you don't have that sort of big game experience to go back to Sweden do from a number of different competitions. And so my, I guess my optimistic thought for Scotland would be that keep qualifying, you get more of that experience and then it becomes maybe uh, second nature. And my final thing would just be that Graham's saying, now we're just here to have fun. I'm wondering how long before kickoff of the England game does he go back to, no, we got to win this one, this <laughs> well, really matters, because I know be my, that's coming. That was going to be my exact floor question for, for Graham. <laughs> I, we want to let him park the memory of this game soon, but he did say he was quietly confident about Friday, but yesterday. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. So, what have you reassessed at all, Graham? Um, a, a little bit, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I keep going back to it, and I, and I apologise for for keep going back to it. But if Tierney doesn't play that game, I'm not very hopeful at all. I think it'll be a little bit of a back to the wall job for a nil nil. I, I will say, if, if if Scotland somehow get a point out of that game, then you reassess a little bit because I've I've always mm-hmm. thought four points would probably and I don't know this for certain because obviously you know you don't know how the other groups are going to pan out but I've always thought four points would probably be enough to get Scotland through as one of the third place teams so if Scotland get a point against England all of a sudden it's Croatia at, Croatia at home and having seen Croatia against England I don't think that's the most daunting task in the world even though they would probably be slight favourites still but. At this point, yeah, I think it would it would be, as I say, it would be uh, re- revisionism on my part to change my tune, especially after such a poor performance. I think we are here now to kind of, uh, at, at most, I'm going along with what Taylor's saying, at most gain some tournament experience. I found out today that as, as a combined unit, Scotland have the fewest caps of any team at this tournament. And that kind of goes in, uh, uh, that, that aligns with what Taylor was saying there. I, I didn't know that until today. Well, um, Graham is pinning the hopes of Scotland on one player. And speaking of another team who pinned their hopes on one player, we're going to be talking about Poland right after these messages. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Total Soccer Show, we are back with our Euro 2020 Day 4 Roundup. We are heading to St. Petersburg to talk about Poland against Slovakia. This one, probably the first upset result of the tournament, 2-1 to Slovakia. Uh, This game, by the way, was meant to be in Dublin. Um, There was a 30,000 crowd expected in St. Petersburg. I didn't count them out. It didn't seem like there was that many in the stadium. But this one, real Monday night football stuff. Eagles versus Falcons in this one. Fun fact for you. Um, These two teams do share a border, quite a significant border, but uh, talking to my imaginary friend from Slovakia this morning, surprised me to learn there's very little animosity between these two nations, and indeed between many of the Slavic nations. Uh, Very much, um, Robert Lewandowski, I'm told, is a hero in Slovakia because the two most supported teams, I am told, are Barcelona and and, uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, So he's a big hero, he's a big hero for the Slavic people. So, in Interesting that there wasn't more sort of heat behind this one. But uh, Joe, a huge, huge win for Slovakia here against 10-man Poland, who um, seemed to, the Slovakians seemed to take advantage of pretty bad defending on both goals, I'd say. There was a avoidable red card for Krakowiak, and um, Slovakia seemed to sit pretty deep at the end, and they held on very well. They did. This game for me was, I guess I kind of turn every game into this. I try not to, but this game I think was a really interesting tactical battle. And, and Taylor, I'll let you talk more about the, the way Slovakia set up because I know you tweeted about it and it, it was just very interesting how they approached this game. But the general flow early on was Poland controlling the ball and they were in this really strange 3-1-5-1 shape, three diamond wingback striker. I mean, they were in this really weird three at the back shape that had Robert Lewandowski isolated on his own without Arkadiusz Milik in this team. It, it kind of makes sense as to why that happened. You had Zielinski playing kind of as a number 10, but also floating a little bit to one side or the other. You had Krakowiak anchoring that midfield and then a, a pair of central midfielders to either side of him, but pushed up high. So Poland was in this really strange structure. And then Slovakia was defending in this man-oriented kind of way, wherever uh, Poland's midfielders would go. They would follow for for the most part wherever Robert Lewandowski would go or, or Zielinski would drop. They would follow and it made it hard for the first half for Poland to actually get any time to think and to move the ball and to break through that lower defensive shape that Slovakia had. And then the second half starts up and, and Poland grabbed that equalizer with some really great off-ball movement. And that's how you beat some man-oriented defending is you have these purposeful off-ball runs. And they had one from Rebus in that moment, the, the left wing back in their shape. And it looked like Poland was going to come back and, and really threaten to take the lead. And then they go down to 10 and then they go down a goal and it, it's done. So, Joe, on, on that formation that Poland had, it, it, it was kind of crazy whatever was going on with, with the way the players were positioned. You mentioned sort of two pairs of midfielders on either side. Were they inspired by the Dutch just leaving a hole in the middle? <laughs> I mean, there are certainly similarities, right, with how these two teams approached the game. They both went with a back three. There were open spaces in midfield from time to time. I think Poland had a more cohesive defensive structure than the Dutch did. But uh, I'm not going to lie, Ryan, there are some similarities. Um, Taylor, um, yes, sir. let's hear a bit, a bit about your thoughts about Poland. I'm interested in your thought on the on the left wing back, Puhatch. Uh, they introduced, <laughs> introduced a Puhatch at the back. Have you ever mm. seen a Puhatch like that, Taylor? Uh, no, a Puhach that was kind of all over the place and did a lot of different tasks, even though you would have assumed he was put on to do one specific one. Well done, Puhach. Uh, I wouldn't say well done overall to, uh, to Poland, as Ryan has already sort of indicated, I think, because this did feel like the type of game in which they had a specific game plan designed to cause confusion for their opponent, and Slovakia seemed to have predicated their game plan on thriving under chaos and thus having a lot of fluidity and and moving all over the place and tracking runners. And I think Poland, at the same time, struggled with their defensive game plan because I think the way they could have gotten more out of it and really when they did start to get more out of this game in the second half is when they committed their fullbacks forward, which allowed their wide attackers to go much more central so that Robert Lewandowski had more bodies around him. But for the most part, at least in the first half, they didn't want to commit those fullbacks forward because they were so afraid of being hit on the break because Slovakia would sit very deep at times. And so then you had this disconnect in what they were trying to do. And even when they would get possession further up the field, there wasn't enough in terms of running numbers off the ball to make anything happen for Poland. And I think that is very much to Slovakia's credit. I don't know what will happen with them in the rest of the competition because... 
Strangely, I think Sweden will be just as defensive as they were against Spain. I don't know how what Slovakia did today matches up against a very defensive team. And then that would leave Slovakia versus Spain as the final game. And who knows what will happen there if Slovakia can frustrate or if their game plan doesn't work against a team that will pass and pass and possess and possess. But on this day, I thought them... Being in a 4-3-3 at times, a 4-4-2 at times, a 4-2-4 if they wanted to press a little bit further up the field or in a mid-block. But then they would go 5-3-2 and have sort of numbers across the back and sometimes even a 6-3-1 if they needed that full line of defenders to make sure that they covered the channels but also still had numbers in the middle. I thought the way they just moved around and interchanged and nobody was necessarily doing one specific thing and the whole team was rooted around that the way I would say Poland sort of were. I think it left a lot of opportunities for Slovakia and significantly fewer opportunities for Poland. Graham, your thoughts on this one? We, 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 lest we forget that Poland did have a lot of injuries here, not least uh, uh, Milik, who wasn't uh, fit for this one, uh, not indeed fit for this tournament. Is, is, he, is he their Tierney in some ways? <laughs> well, maybe, and it seems it seems to um, follow a familiar pattern with with Poland at major tournaments. We said in our previews that Poland just have a way of 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 underwhelming, and even when they seem to get on top of this match at the start of the second half, then there's a, the Krakowiak red cards, and I think they did miss someone else to take a little bit of the the focus away from Lewandowski, whether that's Milik or Piantek, who obviously is is, is normally involved with the the national team but yeah I think Slovakia did an excellent job of of generally keeping Lewandowski quiet I know he plays a role in the equaliser and in, in drawing a defender away from the goal scorer but I did note that that and this is from Duncan Alexander on Twitter to, earlier today he says uh, Robert Lewandowski remains one goal behind Nicholas Bentner in major inter- international tournament goals um, okay. so that is that is not I- ideal for him, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, and I and I really do feel for Poland because of the injury to Milik. And then I do think if you are Sweden or Spain, you want to watch those, what, 16 minutes for 17 minutes from the start of the second half until that red card. Because if Krakowiak stays on and Poland gain the confidence that they seem to have gained, it's one-to-one at that point. They are pressing on. They do seem to be penning Slovakia back a bit more. There's a world in which this finishes 2-3-1 or to Poland, and it's a much more optimistic result. And I think some of the adjustments Poland made to start the second half did cause Slovakia problems and would have caused further problems, especially with kind of just being more aggressive with their numbers and getting balls into the box. And so if you're Sweden, you might watch the opening minutes of that first half and or second half, excuse me, and see some opportunities there that you can uh, replicate and then try not to get a red card because that really was the breaking moment, I think, for Poland. Yeah, and maybe a controversial red card, the second yellow, some people debating uh, whether it, it was warranted or not. Joe, um, Taylor touched on Slovakia's fluidity and what they did. I was pretty, I was more impressed than I thought I'd be, let's put it that way. I didn't have very high expectations of them. Didn't really start with a recognized striker on the field, if it, I, I don't think. And uh, you know, we said in the previews that Milan Skridia was very, very important to this team, and he, he was indeed important this one, coming up with the goal, as he has done in a few qualifiers recently as well. And he did a very good job of keeping Mr. Lewandowski quiet. He, he absolutely did. Slovakia came in, as I said before, with this slightly man-oriented defensive approach, and that made it really hard for Robert Lewandowski to actually get on the ball. He had a couple shots in the first half and contributed to other moments in the second half, but Every time the ball would come into him, one or two of Slovakia's three center backs would just converge as it came into his area. That could be Lewandowski dropping in. They would step with him. That could be in the box. They would step in, get a foot in, clear the ball away, or they'd step in, get a head on it, and get the ball away. They were sitting deep as well, so it made it hard for for Poland to actually make runs in behind. And, and Lewandowski is not really an off-ball runner in that way anyway. So that was never really a threat for Slovakia. I thought their approach to dealing with him was so solid, as as I thought their approach to this game was solid. They weren't dominant necessarily, but the way they sat deep and then attacked in transition, they used Duda and, and Mac to really provide some creativity out wide. Both of those players had creative moments on the left, even though even though Duda played mostly on the right. And then you have Hamshik creating and pulling the strings a little bit with that lovely left foot. I thought the recipe worked really well, and it's going to cause the other teams in this group some problems. Although it wouldn't surprise me, based off of how Spain play and how Slovakia approach this game, if Spain had a little bit more success breaking them down than maybe we'd expect. So Slovakia currently top Group E with three points. Three points on the board at this stage makes it more than likely they're going to go through. Uh, Graham, any thoughts on what Slovakia can do in this tournament? 
Um, I was I was quite impressed with them today. I have to say, I, I I wasn't entirely sure what to expect from them, but as you say, three points early on on the board means that you you can relax a little bit. And as I, as I said, and when talking about Scotland, I think four points is is probably going to be enough to get a, a lot of teams through. So yeah, they they could be a sort of dark horse. And obviously, the, there were stories about how um there wasn't much expected of of the Slovakia team and Tarkovic had had faced a lot of criticism and a lot of um scrutiny from from back home and so i i like stories when like this when a team kind of turns it around in in a major tournament definitely love an upset well I, I, we are categorizing this taylor as an upset aren't we for sure right yeah i i think i would i mean i think it's an upset that in retrospect maybe we like could have seen coming more with uh milik being injured with i think we all had hesitation about saying poland we're finally going to put it together because we've been burned by them in the past but i think maybe because i was pretty unfamiliar with slovakia i wasn't sure what to expect and i and i have to assume that had i have watched a lot more of them in preparation for this uh, i would have known how much more positionally disciplined they were because for uh, Haraslin on like kind of the right side of the central midfield to be a right winger and a right wing back, sometimes a right center back, but then also a right central midfielder based on whatever the other team was doing in whatever given moment. Like that level of discipline and awareness is a thing that in my mind, at least requires a ton of training and uh, repetition so that you get down exactly where you need to be. And so I think if they can like continue to impress, because again, I think Sweden, a very different opponent, certainly Spain the same, but I wouldn't be surprised if this team does make a little bit of a run. I also wouldn't be surprised if they finish third in the group. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I would, I would say if I, if you were forcing my hand, I would say I would be confident if I were a fan of Slovakia. If I were Ryan's, uh, bejorted imaginary Slovakian <laughs> friend, uh, I would be feeling pretty, pretty good about things right now. That's soccer, soccer McSoccer face, right? That's your friend yeah, Ryan exactly, Soccer McSoccer exactly. face? Yeah. Hey, except the McSoccer face family, they're very well known in Bratislava. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, Joe, but um, there we are. Well, I do know. That, they are certainly dancing on the streets of Bratislava tonight after that one, and they are in a very good position with Sweden coming up next on the 18th. Uh, Spain will be taking on Poland in their second game. Let's talk about Sweden's first game against Spain right after these messages. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS.
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show! Did you miss us? We're back! We're here to talk about Spain against Sweden. This one finishing tied at zeros, as I love to say. Uh, This one was in Seville. It was supposed to be in Bilbao. Now the game wasn't in its intended stadium today. 90 degrees, Joe. 90 degrees. Actually, almost quite hot in this one. How did you feel about the temperature here? (laughs) How how would they ever bear it, Ryan? How will they ever make it through? I'm just glad that, that everyone did make it out of that sweltering heat. Genuinely. Funny how the Spanish haven't been complaining about the heat as much as the English <laughs> have been. That's because it? that's because Luis Enrique was sitting on an ice box for the whole match. <laughs> so Enrique doing his best Bielsa, certainly in terms of sitting on the ice box. Maybe not so much in terms of what was happening on the field, though. I characterise this game uh, on my social medias and in our TSS WhatsApp chat as quite boring. Taylor, have I characterised this game correctly? Did you find any? interesting moments in this am i just being a luddite Uh, you're not but i will say i found the first half genuinely really really interesting to the point of almost being fascinating the second half very much the opposite i think the first half because spain i think had lots of little nuances the one that I, i i kind of like thought was pretty interesting right away was Koke almost on the right side of central midfield, almost becoming a right back at times when Spain were in possession. And that mm-hmm. allowed uh, Llorente to go very far up the pitch that allowed uh, Fernand Torres on the right to then go central. And there were clearly like uh, choreographed rotations to this because as Koke would do that, you could just see everybody rotating around. And I think Spain was designed to just have those rotations, have the movement and really pull Sweden apart. And for the opening minutes, it felt like they were going to do that. They were just so ball dominant. And it's one of those strange situations of when it's the case in the first 15 minutes, but then also the next 15 minutes, and then also the third 15 minutes of the first half, you start to think, ugh, is this Spain being dominant or is this Spain not really having a way through Sweden, who, as I tweeted, I found equally fascinating because of how disciplined they were defensively that any time I don't think I'll be able to describe this in audio format and I probably didn't either in written format. But when you see players moving in sync and I don't mean like, oh, yeah, they're running backwards. Like when you see them running in the same like right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot and then turning at the exact same moment and then shuffling over to one side in the exact same way. You see the defensive discipline there. Scotland takes some notes. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that also really interesting to me and in how just Sweden had everything so drilled and figured out with what they wanted to do that I felt like, okay, we're poised for a second half. Spain are going to have to try different things. Sweden are maybe going to be a bit more confident in their counterattacking. Let's see how this goes. And I think Sweden did get some decent counterattacking opportunities, obviously didn't score them. Spain, for their part, I, I didn't see them figure much out or try that much different. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe that was my boredom there as well. But I felt like first half really interesting for the reasons I've mentioned. Second half, less so. Graham, um, Spain finishing the game with 85% possession. They made 917 <laughs> passes compared to Sweden's 161. They had an XG of 2.47. Is it? I, I just can't fathom a, a world where we call this a good Spain performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I am with you on that. I don't mean to be abrasive in any way, but I, I, there's no amount of kind of footballing mental gymnastics that will persuade me that this was a good performance by Spain. I, I just never really felt like the breakthrough was coming. I think maybe the, the one exception would be when Gerard Moreno comes off the bench, who, by the way, has to start the next game. I cannot believe right. that Alvaro Morata started this match. I watched Spain's warm-up game against Portugal, which really seemed to be a that that seemed to be a match where uh, Luis Enrique was 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 testing out his his team for that first game. Alvaro Morata had a terrible ga- uh, performance in that game against Portugal, missed a hatful of chances, and I cannot believe Luis Enrique watched that and went, "I'll have more of that, please." When it when it actually matters, um, because Morata missed at least one golden opportunity two or three half chances as well. And it wasn't really until Gerard Moreno came on. And one of the biggest things he did was 
and this was someone on, on Twitter that pointed this out um, in their analysis, but Jared Moreno was pushing back the Swedish centre central defenders, and so that was keeping Jordi Alba on side, down the left side, and so what you saw in the final 30, uh, 15 minutes was Pedri playing balls through to Alba down that left side, getting to the byline, and just creating a little bit more chaos in, in that Swedish back line, but I think Moreno has to start next time because, for me, this was a pretty passive performance by Spain. One thing I would mention maybe as a factor was this is a Spain team that only had two days of training before this game due to self-isolation. And so I just wonder if this level of, this extreme level of possession from Spain where they had 85% of possession, which is the highest share of possession registered by a team in any Euros match since 1980. Um, After the first five minutes, Sweden's share of the possession was 0%. They hadn't had a touch of the ball in the first five minutes. Um, so I do wonder if maybe that was a, almost a little bit of a, I don't know if this is the right term, but a defence mechanism to um, mask some of the fatigue factors that Luis Enrique was maybe anticipating due to that lack of training. And we maybe saw some of that fatigue in the second half where it felt like some of the tempo and intensity dropped in, in their play. Well, Graham, Lewis and- um, over here... Over here in the States, uh, sorry, Ryan, uh, uh, Taylor Twelman had an, an interesting point, one I think I agree with. In the 38th minute, Avar Morata has that very, very good opportunity because Danielson misreads the ball. Morata's in on goal 1v1. Credit to Robin Olsen, who comes off his line and had a very good game, I think was one of Sweden's most important players. But Morata puts that wide, and Twelman at that point made the argument that if that's Fernando Torres in 2008 or 2010, that ball is in the back of the net, and that's sort of what this Spain team needs is that reliable goal threat that will both be intimidating to defenses but also back that up by actually scoring goals I would almost argue like if you put Robert Lewandowski on this team do you think they win this game yeah probably because I think Lewandowski scores that that one chance that that yeah. Morata has um which comes from a Swedish but, mistake but um yeah I mean Spain did win the Euros and what was the one where they didn't play 2012 yeah is it they didn't yeah, like, they won two so yeah, and so I, I, I guess they can do it, but I, what I would say is maybe they had more goal-scoring midfielders at that time. I'm not entirely sure. As good as Pedri is, he's not really a goal-scorer. Ferran Torres, I guess, can can score goals, and actually he's been he's he's much more of a goal-scorer for, for Spain than he is for City. One player that I would say in terms of attacking productivity that I, I feel like um, Spain need Lorente, the attacking midfielder, more than they need Lorente, the right-back. And so that would be a, a change that I would make. I know they're weak in that position and Lorente can do a decent job there. But I, for me, I would be putting maybe Aspilicueta in there for the next game and, and getting Lorente up, up forward just because his, his numbers for Atleti are so fantastic. I mean, double, double figures and goals and assists for Atleti this season. I feel like Spain could use a bit of that. So uh, many Grant, to your point. So time. I'm just going to keep interrupting, Ryan. I apologize. Please to do. your point, Spain in the final of 2012. Uh, David Silva, Jordi Alba, Fernando Torres, and Juan Mata were your goal scorers in that game with the midfield of Fabregas, Chabilando Busquets, and Xavi. So yeah, a pretty good midfield there. That definitely helped them as well. Iniesta and David Silva started up top in that game. So maybe that shows us that you don't always have to have proven goal scorers if you've got a ton of very good goal scoring midfielders. You're right, Graham. That doesn't quite explain why Thiago was brought on just after the hour instead of their best striker, though. I kind of agree with Graham. More passing. And it was also Fabian Ruiz as well with about five minutes to go. I think Koke comes off and I'm thinking, right, here here goes Adama Traore down the wing or someone. Oh, no, wait, it's Fabian Ruiz, another uh, pass master midfielder. Joe, let's talk about Sweden a little bit. 4-4-2, low block, poop housery all around. (laughs) Yeah, I mean they were they were delaying, they were time wasting in the twenty first minute, or, or, or you know shortly after that. It was halfway through the first half, they were already just counting down the seconds. And fair play to them, right? We talked about on this show how Sweden's style can be very effective, and we saw that in this game. Sure, Spain created chances, and I think once again I'm a little higher on Spain than than at least some of you guys, but. Still, Sweden got the job done. They defended in that 4-4-2 block. They made life very difficult for Spain. They didn't allow a ton of space in behind. They didn't have a ton of space between their lines. They play as a unit, and that's so hard to break down in any any real soccer competition, but especially in a tournament where the prep is different, you're, you're you know getting ready for the games, things are different, and the approach can be different at times. Sweden played very, very well. The one thing that I think they struggled with, and I'm sure they'll take this trade-off, is 
is they had some turkey vibes to me in that Italy game, the opener of this tournament, where they're just sitting so deep, they can barely threaten in the attack. And they did have a couple moments where they threatened, the biggest one, I think, being in the 61st minute, where Isak then gets into the box and, and squares it over and, and Sweden can't finish. But they didn't create a ton of transition opportunities, which is a pretty natural result of defending so deep. It's hard to find the balance between those things. And they didn't really in this game against Spain, again, understandable. But I think they're going to need to as they approach the final two games of their group stage. So are you expecting a slightly different approach then in these final two games, Joe? Not not a different approach. I'd expect the same 4-4-2 block, but a bigger emphasis, maybe defending slightly higher, and then a bigger emphasis on finding Isak, finding Berger, whoever else is partnering him in that front two, between the lines. Because what Spain did in this game, in the first half especially, is as soon as the ball was turned over from their possession, they would swarm the ball on counterpress. There would be five, six, seven, eight bodies around Sweden as they tried to counterattack. And it took Sweden until the second half for them to be able to actually play through that counter-pressure a little bit, find Isak Feinberg between the lines behind Spain's mass of counter-pressing players and then get out in transition in front of the center backs and run at the back line. I think they need a bigger emphasis on those kind of transition moments going forward. I think, did- Joe, I think you have talked me into feeling more positive about both of these teams and their chances in this competition. They're both good. I, think, I, think, I genuinely think yeah. they're both good. And I think Spain, I kind of forgot about the counterpressing, even though I think I messaged you all to say that if they score, I think it's going to be from a counterpress, because it was just so disruptive and is a big reason why Sweden couldn't get anything going in the first half. And I think some of their game plan was rooted in, let's score an early goal, really kind of uh, blitz them, get this goal, and then we can sort of keep the ball, keep it moving, maybe we'll get a few more as they get stretched. And that wasn't the case. But I think if they are able to convert that against maybe a slightly more less defensive team, they're going to have more joy. And then for Sweden, I think you're right that they sat very deep. But that was almost, again, what I saw as being part of how they were dealing with what Spain wanted to do. Because obviously, if you have Jordi Alba on one side, if you have Llorente on the other, and with some of the overloads we've already talked about, especially on that left, when Jordi Alba would get in there and combine, what I saw was Sweden, as soon as they felt like they had been bypassed or exposed or there was a, a an unfavorable uh, numerical situation out wide, they just collapsed because they knew that cutback was coming. They knew that low cross was coming. And so they just immediately collapsed to the six-yard box, to the penalty spot, and cut that ball out. I think against uh, a maybe less possession-oriented, threatening team, I think you're right, Joe. They, they probably push out a little bit more. It's more of a mid-block. Same rough shape, but I think they will be able to do some things, especially if Isak takes the chances or is maybe a little more selfish in front of goal. Didn't just doesn't what? look to square to Berg, who I guess just wanted to watch Isak do things. <laughs> so I think both of these teams are in a stronger position than I would have thought they were at the end of regulation. Why did why did Isak come off? You're, I don't know. You're providing too much it's, goal threat. Off you come. <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be minute management, right? Yeah. You have two more games, you're likely going to earn that draw. Spain hadn't been creating much of anything when he comes off. And yeah. so you say, all right, we're going we're gonna to bank on other forwards being able to run and, and track and chase defensively. We're going to save Isak and, and Berg for the next two group stage games. Well, um, I personally never want to think about this game again, but I'm glad that you guys <laughs> drew some interesting notes from it. And it certainly yes, will be sir. intriguing to see um, these two games, how, they, how these two teams, sorry, how they progress through the next two games. I think that just about wraps up our look at these games today. Thank you very much gentlemen. Before we head off though, a quick look at Tuesday's encounters. We have one group left to talk about. Group F, group of death baby. Hungary versus Portugal the first game up, Taylor. Tasty stuff? Yum yum? I I don't know because I did not do the Hungary previewing and I was pretty down on them, (laughs) but it I'm guessing we're going to get something approximating what we saw in Sweden versus Spain. Uh, but people who are more in the know about either of these teams are welcome to agree or disagree. And I will be quiet. Graham, I think you covered Hungary, did yeah. you? Know? Yeah, I did do Hungary. I, th- I think they'll, they'll be competitive, but I think Portugal will be, um, as you would expect, the, the dominant side. Although I'm, I'm just Googling about uh, Yao Cancelo because I saw that he tested positive out, for yeah. COVID. Is he out of the tournament then he, he, entirely? I think um, so, because I believe I saw they called him Nelson Semedo. Uh, well, they, so apparently he's been replaced by Diago, uh, Diogo D- Dalo, which is... Oh, yeah, you're right, my bad. Semedo will start. A, that's yeah. a downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Cancelo's just so important to the way Portugal play, uh, uh, almost in a sort of uh, 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 a Kieran Tierney way. Is that, am I allowed to make <laughs> that comparison? But yes. um, it, when I watched Portugal in some of the warm-up games, so much of their play was about getting Cancelo to the byline and, and cutting back, so... 
that's that's a massive loss for for them. Um, but I, I still expect Portugal to get through that game. As evidenced uh, in that their last friendly 4-0 win over Israel, I think he had at least a goal and an assist. He might have had another assist as well. Yeah, I, I, forget. I watched that but game yes. and he was brilliant, yeah. Pretty good performance for him. Pretty good performance. Um, Joe Lowry, you will be relieved on the West Coast not to have a 6 a.m. wake up tomorrow. <laughs> and you'll be even more relieved to have probably the biggest box office game of the group stage coming up. France against Germany. Your thoughts on that one? I'm so excited not to get up early. I'm also so excited for that France-Germany game. I'm looking forward to seeing Mbappe run at Germany's back line, whether that's a back back four or a back three. I think he has speed to cause them some real problems in that area. But then Germany also have quality to break France down. I don't expect France to play Sweden-ish by any stretch of the imagination, but Germany will have a lot of the ball. And I, I'm curious and, and excited to see how they're going to use the ball to break through uh, France's defensive line. Um, Graham, uh, who's going to win that game and why is it France? <laughs> you, you beat me to it. Yeah, I think, I think France. I'm just really looking forward to hopefully seeing that, that front line with, uh, with Benzema. Benzema's fit, right? I know he picked up a, a knock in that, in one of the warm up games, but I think, Sorry. I think he's fit. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they play it. And I'm also looking forward to seeing how Luis Enrique, um, steals one of the forwards that France aren't using, just like he stole one of their central defenders. Um, so with some Ben Yedder, he could maybe be playing for Spain in the next game. They could, they could use our center, center forwards if he's not getting used. Who will be stolen next? The mystery continues. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts on France against Germany? Obviously a huge game. Um, we, I'm hoping we get some little hints of French implosion. We've seen Mbappe talking about Giroud and whatnot coming uh-huh. up at the moment. Uh-huh. Come on, let's have a mutiny. Uh, mutiny. Yeah. Mutiny. <laughs> you honestly, you've made me a believer in that one. And I do, it is part, partially why I don't, don't have France going as far in this one because it seems like a possibility. What I would say is also anything seems like a possibility from this game. I was really excited for the Scotland game today, I will admit. But this might be the second most excited I've been about a game in this competition because I have no idea what it's going to look like. France, in their uh, victorious World Cup campaign in 2018, started off with a 2-1 win over Australia. I think there was a penalty in there. I believe there was an own goal. Then they have a narrow win over Peru. They have a draw with De- uh, with Denmark in the group stage. And there is some speculation that like Didier Deschamps can't figure it out and I feel like that speculation persists even after they kind of win the World Cup they're still like yeah but did he really figure it out or are they just very good and so I won't be surprised if this one is very slow because I think Germany would prefer it to be a slow possession oriented game I won't be surprised if both teams come out and try to blitz the other one and we get a back and forth high tempo affair I think the first 30 minutes will be really interesting in what sort of tempo is established what the patterns of play are going to be and then we'll see how the game evolves from there but I think anything really could happen I won't be surprised if it's a win for Germany I won't be surprised if it's a big win for France and I won't be surprised if it's a nil-nil draw I think anything is on the table anything is on the table except surprises for Taylor Rockwell because he's not going to be surprised by any event that happens on Tuesday's action thank you very much gents Uh, Euro 2020 will continue as I say on Tuesday your favorite DSS boys will be back on Tuesday evening to discuss those games too in the meantime Taylor Rockwell thank you very much Thank you, my friend. And, and again, best wishes to your made-up Slovakian friend. Uh, thank you very much. Joe Lowry, uh, congratulations on the lay-in tomorrow morning. <laughs> thank you, sir. I, I really, truly, with all of my heart, appreciate that. And Graham Rutherford, chin up, son. Thanks, Ryan. I'll try. <laughs> we'll be back for Friday. Graham, can we get your uh, can we get your continuous updates on the job site? Like, I would like to know what the mood is on the job site tomorrow. Are people angry? Is it still subdued? (laughs) Extra loud, extra loud. Yeah, I want to know how it gets picked up in time for the England game. More hammering. Yeah, I'm expecting more hammering (laughs) much earlier tomorrow. Yeah, (laughs) that's what she said. Bye. 